Welcome to the West North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Welcome back, Tim. We're, uh, this is starting to feel like a broken record to me in some ways. <laughs> I know what you mean. I, I feel like we've had too many of these. Um, I, I don't know. What, I don't even know what to call them. They're just Arsenal games. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, am, I know we're going to get further into it, but I, th- there is a part of me that realizes that the... This is a little bit better than the 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 earlier part of the season. At least we're drawing these games and not losing these games quite literally against Burnley. Sure. Yes. So there's that to look look happy about. Silver linings and all that. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's kick things off with what you are drinking this week. I'm drinking it was a beer a friend uh, gifted me. Uh, it's from Seattle Brewing. It's a Seattle Brewing Company called a, a Lucky Envelope. They're down in Fremont, or if not Fremont, in Ballard, actually. Um, and I for, or I don't know if they're open right now because obviously I haven't been down in Seattle in quite some time. So you'll have to tell me. Um, but the beer is a, a peanut butter stout that they make. <laughs> All right. But normally, I'm not into gimmicky beers, and I feel like peanut butter stouts are gimmicky-ish. But I actually really enjoyed it. It was that they 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 make it with uh you know the the usual peanut butter and then chocolate and coffee and it it worked really well for whatever reason if it tasted or it tastes uh really tasty. I'm enjoying it. Okay, I <laughs> take your word on that. I don't know. I'm I'm with you on the gimmicky gimmicky stuff. I feel like I've there was a phase in my life where I tried a lot of those and. Nine times out of ten, they were just as awful as you imagined. Well, I think with this one, what makes it okay for me is I think a lot of gimmicky beers, they use a lot of artificial or maybe just like hit you over the head. It just doesn't taste real. Or is this, you know, I mean, it, it definitely has a taste of peanut butter, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't taste like artificial flavoring and and too much, you know? Good. That's good. I, I, I would... I would find that kind of gross if it was an overpowering peanut butter flavor, but I like peanut butter. So I feel like if it was just a hint, I might be okay with it. I mean, it's definitely more than a hint. You definitely know it is peanut butter. I'll do okay. I'll it's a give slap. You it's a slap in the face with peanuts. <laughs> no, it's it's somewhere in between. It's like a, a gentle tap to the face of peanut butter. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I, I would try it, I guess. Are you drinking a peanut butter beer? <laughs> no, it, I am not. I am drinking something called The Fog. And it is... Actually, the can says Wandering Into The Fog, Ooh. which is interesting. Um, it's a double IPA from Abomination Brewing Company mm-hmm. out That's of... Um, this is out of Connecticut of all places. Huh. It's out in North Haven, Connecticut. Oh, so is it an East Coast IPA style? It's an, it's it's not a hazy. I mean, it's definitely a double IPA, mm-hmm. but it's got good balance. It's not overpowering. Like some IPA, double IPAs are real strong. This is, um, shoots down the middle a little bit, but it's, it's, it's 8.6%. So it's Ooh. right where I like it. Yeah, I clocked in at a, uh just above where I'm at. I'm at 8.4 with my stout. So that's, that's pretty, 
pretty high. We're not messing around with our beers this week. No, we are not. Yeah, this one was uh, this was part of the mystery pack. So I don't know if you, where where you could find this. I'm sure some bottle shops would carry it, but it's got a kind of cool label. It's just kind of like a blue gradient hmm. with some trees poking out. You know, if we were more like internet savvy, we could do Instagram posts every beer of the week. Oh well, now that you say that, <laughs> I'd actually have to remember to take take the picture, but I can do that. Yeah, I think I think starting next week that could be a good idea. Although I do a lot of growlers, so that's you, less exciting. You could still pour it into a glass so you could see what it looked like color wise and all that. Oh, true, true. You're gonna have to stage these photos. Really do some <laughs> some internet uh, influencer work. Well, you know, like right when this pandemic started, I did purchase, or actually, my lovely lady friend purchased it, but a uh, one of those ring light things, which we've oh. used exactly once because we don't really care. You are halfway there, <laughs> but I imagine I can use it for uh, beer photo shoots. All right, so we'll we'll kind of maybe promise to start taking pictures of our beers regularly <laughs> if we remember. Yeah, so we can be like influencers, right? And that's what the yes, we are beer, we are now beer influencers. <laughs> this is our second job. No, uh, if only influencers paid money. <laughs> yeah, I could get paid in beer, and that's good enough for me. You know, as we keep on saying, if you are a beer person. Like a oh. brewery person, we will accept beers for beer of the week. What are those people called? Brewists? Brewists. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be the marketing person. Or... <laughs> um, yeah, if you are a brewer of beer, a connoisseur of beer. <clears throat> oh, goodness. This beer is coming up on me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if you are a brewer of beer or a connoisseur of beer who just wants to share your wealth of knowledge and have us try things that you think we would like, Tell us about them. You can send them to us. We'll figure like just reach out. We'll figure out how you can get them get us beer. <laughs> I mean, if you send it in the mail, it might not ever arrive th no. these days. But it's the thought that counts. But if you're in the Puget Western Washington region, we can between Caleb and I, we could probably figure it out. Yeah, we've got the I five corridor covered. I yeah. got four. I got four or five. And anywhere we 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 can meet meet you somewhere for beer. These are the sacrifices we're willing to make. Yeah, I mean, depending on the amount, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So think about that if you're a listener and, and a, a beer a beer connoisseur. I'm going with beer connoisseur over beer, beerist, beerist, I like brewist, beerist. beerist. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Uh, you've got a t you've got a question from from the collective Tim Hive Mind. <laughs> yeah, so it is Tim's question, which we've never come up with a snappy name for it, but it is so it's been Tim's question. And actually Tim Whitten asked a, a really good question for Tim's question. So I figured we'd do the collective Tim's question this time because you know you can't see the second M in my name on the podcast. So I think it works. <laughs> yep. And so the question, or Tim's question is Thierry Henri recently said he would be happy to cut the grass at the Emirates. What job would you be willing to take at Arsenal to get your foot in the gate, as it were? I, I don't know if I have the chops for it, but I would love to be the stadium announcer. <laughs> that would be fun. 
I don't know if that's probably not quite the uh, foot in the door sort of thing. I'd probably have to work my way up to that. But uh, yeah, I feel like that would be the most fun job because you'd, you'd get to watch all the games and you just have like a commanding presence over the, the whole field of the stadium. I don't know. Are you friends with the uh, Sounders stadium announcer on Twitter or have you met him in person or anything like that? I randomly met him at a Starbucks in Redmond one time. <laughs> he, well, he approached me because I was wearing Sounders gear. Oh, sweet. Yeah, he's a great guy. I've met him a couple of times and I follow, he's a great follow on Twitter, but he'll post his uh, notes for doing the uh, the announcing. It's I believe it's Brit Fox. Unfortunately, I've been in Twitter jail for a little bit, so I can't look this up right now. But uh, <laughs> it makes but, you sound so dangerous. You're in Twitter jail. <laughs> Twitter jail. Uh, but uh, so yeah, Brit Fox, I believe it is, and he just you have to make all these notes about the the, the players that are playing and uh, how to pronounce their names correctly, and make sure you're getting the uh, correct player when they score a goal, so you don't say the wrong name. But it also looks like a whole ton of fun, and. Uh, when we play a uh, Mexican uh, league teams, I have a buddy named Hugo or Hugo that uh, does the announcement for the Spanish language names and he just has a blast doing it. So yeah, I think that's a good, good shout. I think that would be the toughest part would be getting all the names pronounced correctly. I, based on this podcast, I would not necessarily be good at that. <laughs> Got to break them down phonetically. Yeah. Right. I need to hear a native speaker say it correctly and then I can copy that. Because I yeah. think a lot of these names just get straight up butchered by people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know I butcher names left and right. But we understand who you're trying to talk talk about. But yeah. if you, once you say it loudly to thousands of fans, you have to own it. You have to pretend yeah. that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> oh, if, if the announcers on TV or anything, they they butcher names horribly each, oh, yes. each game. And then eventually they butcher it long enough, then it just becomes their name. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. What would you What would you do as your stadium you know, job? I think I would love to be a VIP ambassador. So, like one of the people that when the uh, the people come into the bo- the the fancy boxes, you'd go like escort them in, talk to them, make sure they're having a good time. Because I bet you'd meet so many cool people that way, and you'd get to watch the games. Yes, that would be fun to to meet all the. Uh, I don't know if they're cele- celebrities necessarily, but definitely the the high-end fans. Yeah, and I'd, I'd be more interested, less, less in the celebrities, but more in like the old Arsenal players that come through. Like it'd be oh, yeah. great to, to see like Perry Groves or some of these these legendary players and just like sit down, or I wouldn't be allowed to sit down probably, but like just hear some <laughs> of the old stories and, you know, if like Burkamp ever stopped by, like that that's who I'd really want to want to talk to, you know? Yeah, I think as, a, as far as that goes, that's probably the best job to be in contact with those those sorts of people, I can't yeah. I can't think of a better way to to be in in their little bubble during a game. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, you know Arsenal, as this Henri quote says, Arsenal I think has a good relationship with a lot of their former players. There's some that uh, don't have as good a relationship that I know we can all name off the top of our head. But I think if if you get accepted in, I think you have a pretty good relationship with the, with the club. Yeah, definitely. They do seem to come back occasionally when when people are in the stadiums, that is. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good question. Thank you, 
Tim and Tim for the, <laughs> for this for that that question this week. Um, so it it see it, like I said, it's starting to feel a little too uh, familiar to have these types of games. But let's start with Burnley and this. Uh, I don't I don't even know what you call it. Like I said, I think it's just it's just the way Arsenal seems to be going through this season and not finding any sort of momentum. I, I I don't know how else to describe it. It's just very frustrating to feel like we get a couple good games and then this game I felt like we should have had well in hand just gets away with us, gets away from us. Well, you, you know, I don't think it was a bad game. I don't think we played poorly. That's the, I, And that might be the thing that's the most frustrating about it, or maybe it's a sign or it's a good thing. But I don't think we played poorly. And just kind of as an overall view of it, I remember watching the game. I had recorded it because I'm not waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I recorded the game and I had my cup of tea. And as the game started, you know, we got the five minute or the goal in the first five minutes. I'm like, oh my gosh, we look amazing. Even or Odegaard, William, like everyone was looking good. We were passing it through Sokka. And after that Sokka miss in the 20th minute or so, I started getting that, that fear, you know, of, oh God, this is going to be one of those games, isn't it? Where we dominate for large portions of the game. We have chances that we should have just buried. I know Aubameyang had one. Saka has just had one that he should have buried. I think the party was a, a shot that was a hard miss. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a game that we're either going to draw or lose and it's going to be still a good game by Arsenal standards, just a lack of finishing. Yeah, I think that's the the takeaway for me too. Is just so many missed opportunities, like just balls at at the feet in front of goal. Like there was a Pepe, mm. which should have been a, a sure shot, and it, it just skidded right past him. It's just Saka yeah. just put one wide. It's just so many almosts, and this this seems to be um, like now that they've kind of turned the corner and figured out how to create things for each other. Now we're just running into the lack of clinical finishing or finishing in general, uh, which is really frustrating to watch because just so many opportunities missed by all the people that should be scoring goals for us. But I think before we get into the uh, the, the the sad part and the uh, the frustrating part, I, I do want to focus on a that first goal by uh, Obama Yang mm-hmm. and just how good we did look in the first twenty minutes. Yeah, I think that um, I turned I turned the game on about the twentieth minute, so I, <laughs> I missed all the good I, stuff. I missed all the good stuff in in real time. I did go back and and rewatch that part of the game, and um, yeah, I think there were some good good moments in there, and I thought they looked like they were going to dominate this game, like they had something to prove after the last part of the game. Um, but I, I, I don't like. I don't think they had a bad game either. I just don't think that they've found a way to control the games that they should control. Well, I mean, I don't even know if control is the right word because, I, as I said, I think uh, like Odegaard had a great game. I thought he uh, he looked really, really good, and you know, he had that for the uh, second or third Obama Yang chance where he ran all the way to the end line, was able to just kind of save it and pop it to a, to a scoring chance. I think Odegaard and William are combining very well. I think 
control wasn't the issue. It really was finishing. You know. Yeah, I guess in, in my in my mind, control is like, I guess not a, not always just defensively controlling the other team, but taking advantage of the opportunities and and making sure that you are. Um, putting games out of reach. You know, I think that's been the problem is um, for Arsenal for a long time is that, you know, when we aren't outright destroying teams, which is rare, but I mean, like the, um, the idea that we can a hold a team to one or two goals or, or less, you know, like get, getting, getting a clean sheet would be ideal, but also really just, taking advantage of all of, all the opportunities and getting early goals so that they are able to just see the game out, not really leaving that door open. I think that's been another problem is le- keeping these games close for far too long and letting teams get back into it. Um, for the scoring into the sixth minute, that's all good and really sets the tone. But if you don't get that follow-up goal, then Burnley feels like they can come back. And, and it only took one... Uh, you know, one opportunity and they were right back in it and then they're able to just lock it down or, you know, kind of be in the game when they shouldn't be. And that's that's the frustrating thing is letting these teams stick around when they they really should be shutting it down from the, the beginning. And I think that's that's really what I think of when I think of control is is kind of controlling the narrative of the game. Yeah, and it, and it, and it really does. And one of the, one of the players that... Uh, and it's not this thing where I feel like we should be like condemning these players and, and everything, but like Sokka's miss was, was, was pretty egregious. And I think, and Pepe missing that, that, that sitter as well. We have to, we have to finish those, those, those chances, you know, that would be three, one. I'm, I'm never upset about letting just one goal in and, or I shouldn't say that, but you know, we should be able to overcome a one goal deficit always against any team in the world straight up. If we lose one nil or we tie one, one I get upset at the fact that we didn't convert chances, you know? Yeah. I think that's been the, the challenge is that it's not like we're getting blown out. It's not that we have bad losses. It's these real close games where we lose by a goal an inopportune goal or let a team in and, and end up dropping points that way. Um, if you total up all the points that we uh, didn't get at the end of the season, it's going to be just devastating when we just finish out of the top, top five, because we're going to look back and, and rue all the points that we left on the table. It's just really going to be frustrating, and I see it coming from a mile away. I mean, I just, uh, t- t- to be honest, when we're talking about league placement, I just, I, I can't see us getting that close enough that it, <laughs> I'm going to be counting down the, 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 the points that we missed, you know? Oh, but I mean, like, it, it's so many at this point. I, if, you, if you total them up, I think we could be at least three, three places ahead in the table right now from just bad bad giveaways, you know, goals that we're just handing other teams. If you totaled all those up and how how close it's been in some of these games, that's that could turn the tide for for the whole season. Um it, it even when we were losing, 
and having that that bad run of form, it was never like we were getting blown out. It was always these really close games and these close margins. And it's been like that all season. And that's why it's really frustrating because you can see the opportunities and see the misses and realize that if you get even one of those to go in, this game is three points over over one. So it's that's the really frustrating part is that's not just this game. It's this whole whole year. It's been like that. And but if we take it in a holistic year perspective, I, I know we touched on it a little bit in the intro. I do think that this is a game that we lost at the beginning of the year. And like and as I said, quite literally, we lost against Burnley in a very uh, similar type of game. Mm-hmm. And at least we did get the 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 point away from home in this fixture with the luck running against us. There was some definitely. You know, not just the handball. I, I, I think the Jaka goal, the goal they scored, was a very unlucky goal. Like, I, it, it's easy to blame Jaka, but I also don't. I don't think it's like a hundred percent his fault. It's just one of those things that happens when you're the uh, defensive third of a <laughs> of a pitch. Sometimes, so, so you don't you don't blame him for that go- for that uh, bad giveaway. Sorry, I I do blame. Obviously, there's there's blame. But I don't hold it against him. I don't know how the like. Do you see the shade of meaning? I'm not mad at him. I guess would be the. It's y- just, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I I guess like I would be comparing to this to the last Burnley game and the frustration I felt from him getting thrown out of the game. I think that's that's way way different than I feel coming out of this yeah. game. Like I'm not like we got a bench Zaka or anything like that. Well, and, and like the going back to that last Burnley game, like the, like the rage that you would feel against Obama Yang for scoring the goal <laughs> for the winning goal for, uh, for, uh, for Burnley. Right. So it, it, it like, I, I, I think, I think it's that I, you can be sad and disappointed. I don't know. Like I just say, it's just, as I say, if it, it's, it's one goal and we should have been able to overcome one goal against Burnley. And that's where I'm just not. It's, there's a lot of reasons we lost the game. And I think we're going to get into a couple of them, like with the uh, the refereeing decisions and certain things. And it's just one factor upon a couple that we are not lost the game. It felt like a loss when we uh, <laughs> didn't win the game. And yeah, so I'm not not extremely upset at uh, Jacques. It would be the... Uh, the uh, response i guess i would say yeah i i guess i'm with you in a sense because i don't feel like we um dropped points because of Jaka. we really dropped points because we didn't finish like we should have exactly that was much more succinct than the way i put it <laughs> it's hard it's hard to wrap your head around these these games because they are you you could you could put a fine tooth comb through these things and find so many different reasons why it could have gone differently or how it could have gone differently. Um, I think a lot of the a lot of fans, um, and rightly so, I, I think are, are critical of the role that referees have played in our season. And this game was no different in the sense that we had. Um, uh, I would say a clear handball in the box uh, on Burnley, and it was reviewed by VAR and, and deemed not to be a penalty. 
Well, let's go into it. So Joe Robinson asked this question, which I, like, when he, he put it on Facebook and I definitely hearted it on Facebook, which is, what is a handball? And after that, after that, uh, the, the first handball, the second handball, I kind of get, and we can kind of go into that one after this, this mm-hmm. discussion about the first handball. I don't know. And I, I, cause that to me, and again, you know, I've never gone through referee courses. I've, I played the game for, you know, decades. I've watched the game for decades. So I feel like I intuitively know what things are, but maybe I don't know the letter of the law. And that's where like, you know, like maybe the, the red card against Louise, you could have this argument that like, you know, by the letter of the law. But to me, what I know of handball is hand in unnatural position, ball hits hand, influences where the ball goes should be just an easy handball. If that's a, if that's not a handball, like as Joe said, what is a handball, you know? Yeah, I think the 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 problem stems from trying to leave too much room for interpretation. Like it, it I I I get it that you want to try to have some fluidity there so that it can be situational and you can say, "Oh, well there there was no intent." Intent shouldn't be part of it. Well, or you might want to say like, "Oh, well, he didn't have time." There's it was it, the proximity in this case was the the issue, but how many situations where there, you know, there's no intent behind it, and there is you know, proximity isn't even considered. It's just like you know, a guy has his hand out, the ball hits it. And you, you, you call it a handball nine times out of 10, but sometime you decide that, oh, well, he didn't have time to move his hand. Then The problem is never about guys that should have moved their hand and didn't. If it gets in the way, then that's what matters. Like, I don't, proximity shouldn't be even if you're standing like right next to the guy, maybe like, like, I don't know. There was space. There was a gap there. It wasn't like he was my. He needed to be really far away for the pro. I don't know. Well, I'm I mean, trying to process the whole proximity argument, and I can't figure out what, at what point is is it okay for the or is the proximity okay, and when is it not? I can't yeah. figure out what that that rule actually looks like because it isn't a rule. It's something that they've interpreted to be part of the rule. Yeah, like it's it's really weird because like they, the, they've during the season even taken away the idea of intent. So intent shouldn't matter anymore, which I actually personally agree with because it's impossible to tell intent. <laughs> you know, like intent mm-hmm. is like, it's not like you have a, a brain scan and can figure out like where this player's thinking and what's, what's happening. So I, I fully agree with taking out intent. And, but by the, like you, you can only do by tangible. So like what's proximity mean? Like if you don't give it like three feet, two feet, one inch, um, like it's just kind of, meaningless and it it, just feels like proximity is another weird form of intent like you he couldn't he couldn't have intended the handball because the proximity was too close well what difference does that make like he if he would have had more time he would have got it in his hand out of the way i don't think he would have played it any differently if he was another foot or two further away yeah it, it, it is what it is i've seen that handball given so many times in so many different situations I've seen it given where the player intentionally saw the player with his hand out and just kicked the ball at the hand. Like Mm -hmm. it it is just, I mean, it sucks. And it's why our defenders, you see defenders throughout the league play with their hands behind their back or like very tight behind on their shoulders 
because I mean, in the law, it says in an unnatural position, which again is a squishy word. What does natural and unnatural mean exactly? But, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't get it. And it's why VA, this is another example of why I just, I'm, I'm done with VAR, which is if it was just a referee making the interpretation, I would just internalize and go, all right, the ref didn't see it. The ref made a mistake, whatever we're, we're going on. But when VAR looks at that and looks at it for over and over again, I think well, it, that, that one was a couple minutes, right? That one was quicker than I oh, expected because the, the the play kept going. I oh, think while was, they were reviewing that one, it was the other the second one that was like five minutes. But but right. anyways, like you have the opportunity to look over this. You have the opportunity to have the ref stop. You have the opportunity for the ref to go to the goddamn screen and look at the screen. And in that case, none of that happened. And I'm like, just like, just get rid of this, like <laughs> this whole like second thing and just get it back down to the refs who are fallible. And I can internalize that, you know? Yeah. Cause in, 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 in addition to that, you're not just saying one ref is fallible. You're now saying a whole team of refs is looking at this and they're all stupid. Yeah. They it, all can't see it. Well, it, one ref is fallible at game speed, which, you know, like I've made mispa- mistakes watching a game at full speed that like something like the second handball, which actually totally was not a handball, mm-hmm. but at game speed, a hundred percent looked like a handball. You, you can understand these types of mistakes, but when you have a whole team that has a chance to look at it from multiple camera angles over and over again and still makes a mistake, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it improves the game. I think we uh, the the thing that sets the Premier League apart, and I can't remember if I've said this on here, if I was just ranting about it somewhere else, but <laughs> um, this idea that it's there to <clears throat> reinforce the or support the referee's decision, or you know, like it, it, it's there to um, show if there was a clear and obvious error, but that that in itself is not looking to find the correct call, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. looking to see if uh, the referee could have made a reasonable mistake. But like the referees, uh, uh, by definition, by having VAR as part of the game, we are admitting that, that the referees are less than perfect. So why are we creating a system that props up this idea that they are they are perfect therefore we should not second guess their calls like that seems to be what it comes down to is that we should be upholding whatever they think in real time above what we can obviously see when things are slowed down and I think it's it's crazy to me too because I as I you know I always say I I watch quite a bit of Bundesliga it's my second favorite league or third, anyways, it's one of my favorite leagues, and I uh, I watch quite a bit of the Bundesliga, and they don't have the same problem with VAR that the EPL is doing, and I don't think it's a, a scrutiny thing. I think it is that when the VAR is called in the Bundesliga, it definitely comes from the top down, where they, in their magical booth in Berlin or wherever they have it, say like, "Oh no, this was a mistake," and call it back. As opposed to where, as you were saying, it's just like they, they, they try and find any way to to reinforce whatever the referee said on the field. And it's only if whatever the referee said on the field was like beyond egregious. And then sometimes like in this case, it was beyond egregious. 
and they still defended it. And I think there's also a flow of play problem mm-hmm. where <clears throat> these they're not they're not stopping the game to take a look at this. They're trying to do it as the game is going. And unless mm-hmm. there's a natural break in the game, they're not giving it the full view. Like at no point, if, unless it's really, really bad, are they telling the referee to stop the game, to come over to the sideline, to look at what's going on. So in that first instance, he, he, they're never going to, like the game just keeps going and they never go back to it. And, and they, they review it and they give it a couple minutes and then they move on. But the second one, because there was a natural break in the game, um, they they were much, I mean, it, it may depend on the situation, but I think they were much more, um, uh, or they were just given much more time to really analyze what was going on. Yeah, and I mean, in that second one, and I, I, I get it, it's not a handball. I, I do understand as the rules are done as they changed it mid-season, I believe, which is that it's on the 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 sleeve of the jersey is where mm-hmm. your, your hands are, which again is like such a squishy rule. So does that mean if I'm wearing long sleeves, like does it does it only my hands count if I wear long sleeves and a glove? Like does that mean there's no such thing as handball? Like I, <laughs> they they don't say like you know three inches from the shoulder. They say, you know, where the sleeve ends. And, you know, as we've seen with offsides, they could probably use some magic thing to measure the length where the ball actually hits within an inch or so. If they're denying offsides by a toenail, like they can probably figure out exactly where the ball is to where the shoulder is, as opposed to saying the, sh- the sleeve. But and, I and I don't know if I want that that necessarily. Yeah. I don't even I, know if I want that, like them drawing these very um, specific lines uh, when they're assessing the offside set uh the offside calls but i i don't know what i want instead i just don't want this i don't want var i think as i say when i watch the uh the europa league where they don't have the var i'm a bad call sucks and i am sure if it was a more high stakes than the bad calls we've gotten in the europa league i'd probably be more pissed off but like as i say i can just internalize it because it's like it's a human making a human error yeah well, there there is something that that came to mind with all of these um, calls and and you know going back to getting a red card at the last game and that sort of thing. Um, I think that there's a lot of fan, Arsenal fans that feel really hard done by referees this season in particular, but it, I think it's been building for many seasons as people kind of start to feel like there's a um, a conspiracy against Arsenal somehow. But you know, I I think. The the thing that I came away for, uh, from this with was we're relying far too much on luck or, you know, calls going our way. Um, whereas if, if we were controlling the game, as I was talking about earlier, we, we should, it should not come down to these calls. They should be, they can be part of the game, but we shouldn't be relying on them to, to save these poor situations for us. I get that those, those, those goals that we could get from these um, situations would, would change games, but I also don't want to leave our game, leave these games in the hands of referees. You know, like that's um, if, if we were truly playing the way we should be, this would be a, a not, not even a conversation. Like we would just move on, but because we're relying on these things to turn the tide in these games, um, it just feels that much more devastating. 
Exactly. You, you hit the nail right on the head, which is that uh, whether or not there's a referee bias can influence some things, but at the end of the day, you should make it take it out of the referee's hands. And I a hundred percent believe that. And, you know, it, it, it isn't the referee's fault that Sokka missed that shot. It's not the referee's fault that Obama missed a shot. It's not the referee's fault that, uh, Jaka kicked the ball into, <laughs> into a uh, Burnley player's midriff and it went into the goal. Like the, those are not things that the referee are creating. So I, I, I put it on Facebook that, it, you know, it's not the only reason that Arsenal didn't win the game. It was just one of the reasons that Arsenal didn't win the game was that, uh, that handball call. Yeah. So as frustrating as it, as it is to, um, continue to have these close calls, not go for us. Uh, it just really, it, it, it shows that we're close, but not there yet. You know, I think that it, this is a team in transition. We, we weren't like a, bottom of the table uh team by any means this season but we've been you know middling at best and to really stake a claim on the top top portion of this table we have to get past this phase where (laughs) with these really close margins and needing to (laughs) rely on a few calls going our way to, to save the season or a few games here and there. And I, I'm, I'm ready to turn that corner because for, like I said, the momentum, you know, for, for every couple games that we get that, that we really seem to have, have in control or have, have going our way. It just seems like then we, then we lay an egg and it's, we have to rebuild that confidence, rebuild that momentum all over again. And this is not the week to have to do that. <laughs> why isn't it this or why isn't it the week? <laughs> well, if you if you have looked ahead at the schedule this week, we've got a uh a Europa League double with uh Olympiacos coming up with a North London derby sandwiched in the middle. Uh it's the worst type of sandwich, I think. Oh yeah, it's a shit sandwich. If there ever was one, <laughs> serious. I think I almost uh, prefer a shit sandwich to this. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's not the time you want to be um, second guessing your quality. Um, and I, I don't know how much confidence to have going into Olymp- excuse me going into Olympiacos, but. I, I, I do not want to leave the door open for them. I, I think that they will be doing everything they can to level the playing field with Arsenal well, to I mean, stay you, in this. You saw that Socrates is giving away all of Arsenal's secrets to Olympiacos. I, I saw that headline and I thought, what the hell is he possibly going to tell them? <laughs> because really, you look at this team and they're... They're predictably unpredictable. Like all you, all you can really guess is that they will certainly shoot themselves in the foot if you give them time to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of secrets to give away. I thought, I thought it was a hilarious headline. It's, it was totally a clickbaity headline in my, uh, my opinion. Because I mean, a, it's every player does that when they go to another team. They're gonna if they have a chance to, you know, give the team they're playing for an edge. They're probably gonna do that. Um, so it's not like I'm like 
extremely angry at Socrates or anything like that. Uh, and that being said, it's like, you know, we all see what Arsenal is, you know, you can attack down the left. <laughs> it's going to be, uh, you know, a certain, uh, type, type of, of game and we all know what it's going to be like. So I'm, I'm not too worried about that, but I, I do think it's going to be a tougher game. I think the travel is going to be an issue. I think we are all going to definitely have our eye on the North London Derby. So like it's, it's, it's a game. I mean, actually, I'm going to put it this way. This is a, a fun little question. Like, which game is more important, the Olympiacos game or the, the Derby? Uh, Olympiacos. Um, mainly because I, I don't think... I mean, I, I, I want to win against Tottenham every time. But losing to them will not make or break this season. Losing to Olympiacos... I think in the in both you know the first game whatever but you know I'm putting emphasis on on both games really but getting knocked out of Europa League would be devastating whereas losing to Tottenham equally devastating in some ways but does not destroy our season. So, so if a devil is meeting you at the crossroads and he gave you the option of losing five nil to Tottenham in the Derby, but going through in Europa League, you would take it. Yeah, I'd go through in Europa League because I still think like there's opportunity um, to catch Tottenham before the end of the season. I think it would be much our odds would be much better to catch them if we can get a six point swing. But uh, yeah, I think there's still time. I, I don't want to lose to Tottenham. I mean, I, even as I'm saying that, I, I definitely that makes me feel gross to say that. But I think, given given the importance of Europa League right now and the path that it gives us to Champions League, I think we have to put all our eggs in that basket. And if we can keep it close with Tottenham and pull out a win, I'd, I'd love that. But I'm not. I'm not going to lose sleep over it if we can. Handle Olympiacos and move on in Europa League. Yeah, and and, and getting to that uh, Olympiacos game, I, I I don't think it's going to be as easy of a game. I always say these like I <laughs> maybe sound like a broken record, but they their 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 tie with PSV was a, a very close tie, and I rate PSV. I've you know what seen a couple games on ESPN Plus uh, watching them, and they have a pretty handy team, so it's. It's going to be a difficult game. They don't have a lot of really recognizable names that we're used to. I mean, you have Thiago Silva, who's like 60 billion years old at this point. Um, we And then, you know, you have Socrates, who we all know in... I don't know if love is the correct word, but we all know. Um, and other than that, it's not a lot of household names. Mado, who used to play in the Premier League. But it's going to be a tough... And, you know having the game the first game away in the first game's away right if I'm, uh let's see if i remember correctly which i often don't the we should look these things up before i talk about them uh yeah um i don't know my internet is running slow right now, but <laughs> I had no help. 
Ah, uh, yes, it is away. I was correct. I should not doubt myself. <laughs> so it is a way. Um, and so it's going to be, you know, it's a, it's going to be a hard round trip. It's at least they're familiar with it because they just played in that stadium. Right. So they actually probably are, I hope, keeping to a similar routine. So that part should be at least take away a little bit of the advantage that uh, Olympiacos has. But, you know, we didn't have a great time against them last time. And I think that does linger in some players' minds. They've met, you know, they've played each other 10 times and never tied. And they've split those 10 competitions. So it's not, it's not going to be an easy runaway win. But, it, you know, I think they, I think Arsenal can win this game, at least this series of games. I, I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think it's very, very winnable compared to what we could be the teams we could be playing. And if we can't get this, I mean, we're, we're doomed after this. <laughs> so I think we have to continue to build and um, build confidence and, and really show that we can handle this team. Um, I think early, like really taking control in the first leg is going to be key. Cause I don't, I don't think it would be wise <laughs> to leave it up to the second leg or even leave it close. Um, but you know, <clears throat> I think Olympiacos is, is, is vulnerable. And like you said, they aren't a stacked team by any means, but I think Arsenal have to kind of win the mental game and, uh, getting knocked out by them last year is definitely going to be in the back of their mind. So you either take that as a challenge that you have to, um, overcome or you let that get to you and <laughs> collapse. And we've seen, We've seen the collapsing arsenal before. So I think really this first game is going to set the tone. And I, I hope they come out firing on all cylinders. I think Saka's had a great run in uh, Europa League. I think he's got uh, like eight assists in the in Europa League play. So I, he, he's he's pretty much on fire. And I, I like... I loved what Odegaard brought or has been bringing. So I hope he gets a, a run out on Thursday. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I want to see the best that Arsenal has to offer. And I, I hope we see that Thursday. And then again on, on Sunday, I think, you know, I, I don't think we need to worry about fatigue. I think there will be rotation, but right now between these three games, you need to kind of figure out how to get your best guys on the field as much as possible and, you know, maybe pull, pull players early to get, get some rest into their legs. But I, I think the, the goal should be get, get a good um, lead in the first part of the Olympiacos game, sub some guys out, save them for, for the Derby game, and and hope that you can keep it close and and get, squeak out a win against uh, Tottenham before you know finishing things off the the following week. I, I that's my hope. That's like probably best case scenario. But I it's the Olympiacos games are definitely going to be high priority for Arteta, and so I, I'm curious to see what the lineup looks like um, and for both that and the premier league game 
Yeah, I mean, luckily, uh, Tottenham has the same or a similar type of schedule where they're in the Europa League as well. And so they will have uh, have to uh, do, do some... Although I don't know whether they're home or away because I really don't pay attention to them other than when we have to play them. Um, I mean, I, pay, I, I hear things, but I don't really like go in depth with them. Uh, but I do worry about that North London Derby game just because... Unfortunately, it looks like I, I would have liked to have played them two weeks ago when it looks like the, Mourinho was doing Mourinho things and the team was falling apart. But it looks like they've kind of cobbled together some form. And Bale looks like he is he's coming back in form. And if, if they can get an informed Bale, I I worry about a Bale, like, uh, that type of, you know, the, their front three with a... Son, Kane, and Bale running at our defense. That's that's definitely a scary thought to me. Yeah, I had concerns about Bale early on in the season, and it just like took um, a long time for him to get going. And now that he is, yeah, it's it's a little worrying. But um, I yeah I I don't know how confident to feel, and I think we'll I will feel much more confident if we can get through the first leg of this Europa League match. Um, with with flair, we'll call it. You know, just just feeling coming out of it, feeling confident. I think a, a strong performance will really launch them into the Tottenham game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's very true. And, and what you brought up of of hopefully being able to get some players some rest and get them off early enough that they can you know not play full ninety minutes and then have to go play another full ninety minutes in a, a derby game. Yeah, I'd love to see the likes of uh, Martinelli getting some minutes. Um, I I don't know how realistic that is, but you know, I I don't know. I also don't know what uh, Emil Smith Rowe's uh, status is currently. I thought it it sounded like it was not a serious injury, and that he might be back sooner than later. So, if he can make a comeback, either in the Europa League or on the weekend, that would be a huge boost to the team. This is a little bit of an aside, but has it felt like this year the injury reports have been less uh, forthcoming than they have in in previous years? It's, you know, normally I I feel like you get like a weekly injury report, and you know, you, you there's a lot more transparency, but this year it just has felt a little bit more secret. Uh, I don't know if I picked up on that. I feel like they're there. They put them out, and and may. And, and yeah, oh my gosh, what is wrong with my mouth? <laughs> um, they they seem to put them out in a timely manner, but I think the there's been a lot of vagueness to specific injuries and timelines. So I think that might be what you're picking up on is that they're they're talking about it, but nothing too definitive. Which is definitely a prerogative and probably a good thing. My knowledge of whether a player is injured or not is not going to affect the world. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it did the more specific they are, the the more likely people are going to be up in arms when they don't make their their goal or deadline. Yeah. So true. I'd rather the players come back on their own timeline than when the uh, you know, <laughs> we we've seen what happened with with party, so I, I I would rather we take our time and get these players back to full fitness before um forcing them back, especially for the North London Derby which was when party tried to make his comeback last time. 
Yeah, and you, and you mentioned it with a, with a, someone like Emile Smith-Rowe as well, which is a player that we're looking at holding on for the long term. So hopefully we we, we don't take a short-term view on his injury and, and make sure he's fully fit before we put him back on the field. Absolutely. But I, I do think he brings a, a different look to this team. So uh, having him to rotate in for Pepe or Odegaard or whoever, uh, he can um, help spell during the next run of games here would be a, a big boost to the team. But with that said, I think that's that's pretty much, you know, the next three games in a nutshell. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about the um, first two of them the first two games next week on the on the podcast so we'll we'll see where we stand going into that second leg of olympiac the olympiacos tie but uh i hope we have positive things to talk about after the next two games (laughs) me too all right well let's take a quick break and when we come back we got a couple questions to answer and uh we'll wrap things up after that so stick with us and we'll be right back Welcome back from the break. Hope you enjoyed that one minute up to yourself. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. <laughs> uh, let's get let's get to a couple questions that we have from you guys this week. Uh, another one from Tim Whitholm. Uh, can you address the rumors about Mikel Arteta and Barcelona? Obviously, I and many other Arsenal fans have stuck with Mikel and don't want to lose the guy when he loves our club so much so tim do you, does barcelona does barcelona scare you as far as luring our our, our golden boy away scare isn't the right word it, annoy is probably the the correct word i feel like our like as an arsenal fan you spend half your life realizing that all the things that you love are eventually going to go to barcelona it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> between, mm-hmm. you know like i i just remember the Henri and Fabagash and you know like there's all we're always losing players to barcelona so why not a manager as far as uh, this specific rumor i i it's actually it definitely has wheels barcelona is not having a great time right now and their manager is a kuman if i remember correctly mm-hmm. and he's not having a great time and he was kind of an emergency replacement because the guy they fired what's his name i'm forgetting his name i'm really bad with some names and uh they fired him the first person they asked asked, didn't want to do it so they kind of just got and it's not working out well i think we don't have a lot to worry about unless arsenal really changes form i think it would be a, a hard sell to the barcelona fans to uh to take a a, a manager from a team that's uh what are we eighth in the premier league sixth in the premier league tenth i think that would be a a hard sell to sell to the fans you have to remember right now there's gonna be a lot of rumors uh spreading because their election is going on right now Uh, not to get too far into it but uh the uh fans of the of barcelona elect their president of the club and there's a big election going on i think it just happened and i actually did look at the results and uh so you have a lot of the candidates promising different things different players different managers different changes so we'll see um i think uh, conversely 
Arteta is not going to be, if he is the manager we, we hope and love, he's not necessarily going to be content staying at a 10th to 6th place Premier League team either. I think if we don't consistently uh, vie for the, uh, the league and are in the Champions League, it's going to be hard for us to keep him for very long. Yeah, I think there's it, it is an interesting situation because if we're if he's going to move up, then Arsenal probably needs to you know he has to find success with Arsenal to really prove himself to move up to the next level. If they if he's showing promise, and Arsenal aren't moving up, it's because he's not getting the backing from the club. So that would be unfortunate, or he's not living up to his potential and then he's probably not moving anyway. So if he finds success with Arsenal and is able to find it despite not getting backing from the club as far as players and that sort of thing, then of course he's going to go because anybody um, would look at that and say, oh, wow, look what he can do with so little. And he would say, well, the club's not, not supporting me, so I should go. If he's getting the club support and we're not finding success, then that's on him and he's not going anywhere. So I think really the more than likely scenario is that he gets the backing he needs, he finds success with Arsenal and, and the club and the, the coach move up together. You know, if he, it's he if his goal is to get to Champions League with Arsenal, then you know, I think then Arsenal is in, if he does that and then Arsenal has reached that plateau or that next tier, then he leaves the club in a better position than he left it or then he, he leaves the club in a better position than he started. And I think that benefits everybody involved. Um, if, if he leave if he leaves and goes on to bigger and better things and Arsenal doesn't improve, that's really unfortunate. And I would be really disappointed in that, but I don't see that as a likely scenario that he's going to use this as a springboard and somehow Arsenal doesn't come out better than they started. Yeah. I mean, and he does have the Arsenal connection, but the thing you have to remember is that it's not like the deepest of Arsenal connections. I think uh, in reality, he probably has a, a deeper connection to Everton. And I, I didn't, realizes because I don't remember him playing for the senior team for Barcelona, which he never did, but he did uh, grow up in the youth ranks in Barcelona, of course, where mm-hmm. all good players from Spain come from, uh, Masaya. And uh, so he played in the youth ranks. He's a really good friend with uh, Xavi Alonso, which uh, is a Barca legend. So there, there is that Barca connection. So is it something to worry about? Um, as I say, it's not something I fear, but it's something... I wouldn't be surprised if at some point he becomes the manager of Barcelona, whether it's a acrimonious uh, leaving or if it's a uh, a good parting of ways. It will be a, uh, a a good question. I actually don't know uh, what he's on as far as a, a contract with us. I believe he has multiple years. So if Barcelona does want to take it, take him from us, we're going to have to get compensated pretty well. I think he's here through uh, twenty twenty three. Yeah. So I mean, uh, in the short term. If he does leave for Barcelona, hopefully we'll get some decent compensation for it. Yeah, I don't want to think about that yet. I mean, I, I think that the, that he has said that this is a three-year project, and I want to make sure he sees that through. And I want to. I hope that he gets the the backing that he needs to see that project through um, from the owners. 
because it would be unfortunate to if we if we do have this uh, amazing coaching asset that everybody hopes he will be, it would be sad to squander it by not not supporting him as he tries to do what needs to be done. I get that the club's financials are not in a great position right now. They're definitely in the red for another season here, but we have owners who can who can step in and and change that position quite a bit with with an injecting an injection of funds. They did so with Party. I would hope that if if push comes to shove in the next couple transfer windows that they do what the right thing is to make sure that this project is successful. I think if you're going to get back to Champions League, you're going to have to invest. It, there's no way that this club is sustainable unless you can get back to that level. It relies far too much on having um, a good chunk of the fin- financing coming from the fans. And this, they're just not going to support... The club that does not um, appear to want to get back to Champions League financially. Like you can't, um, you can't just expect players to want to come play for this team. You have to go out and spend money. Like I, I think that's, um, it, it's it's about spending money and spending money s- smartly. I mean, the investment in Pepe will never pay off. You know, it's just ne- they're never going to get that money back out of him. The investment in party, they may not get the money back, but I feel like that it's a, it was a reasonable amount to pay for the type of player that we're getting for him. Well, I mean, um, and you have to look investment in in certain ways. Like, yeah, there's the investment in players and getting your money back for players, but you're also investing in the idea of getting placings and getting into mm-hmm. Champions League, and you can make up some of the money that you get for investing in a player that you won't necessarily get back in. Uh, for further sales in Champions League money or even Europa League money, which isn't as big as Champions League money, but it still is a, a, a money. So sometimes you have to look at investments in more than just what you can get when you sell a player on. Right. I, I think you have to look at um, at Arteta, and 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 I think for me, I really see somebody who understands what Arsenal is and should be, and so he and and I think I I really do trust the types of players that he wants to bring in. So if he if he goes out and says to the owners, I think Thomas Party is going to make this team better and is what I need to get us through the next two, three years, I trust that that call way more than the the Pepe signing. You know? I mean, it really, like, uh, if, if Party's the, uh, the person we base it on, I think uh, we can trust that sort of a signing. Right. So, you know, we will see what happens in the offseason, but I think if your if your goal is to keep Arteta's attention and keep him from getting his head turned by a bigger club, you have to be willing to put put the money into the team that he requires. And I think he's done enough to turn this team around whether the results are there yet or not. I think the product on the field is clearly better than it was. And we're moving in the right direction. I would much rather be supporting this team than the team we were even um, a year and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 always it's hard when we uh, come off a game like the Burnley game, or when you know when we come off a loss or things like that. But if we take a deep breath and just look over the trajectory over this season, 
we are moving in a positive direction. And even if the result against Burnley wasn't what we wanted, I really enjoyed parts of that game. As I said, the first 20 minutes, I really enjoyed. So I think we are at this point moving in a, a positive direction. It's just, it, it's hopefully Arteta can keep the positive direction going and we don't flatline. That's the, uh, the next fear. Yeah. I think that any, any rebuild is going to have ups and downs until you find that consistency. And I think finding the right players to um, fill in some of these roles will be key to building, building consistency and, and mental stability. Um, I think that's part of it is the mentality of the team. And I think we've definitely turned, turned some of that around, but there's a, there's another level that we have to get to, but I think Arteta gets that. And he, he made comments in the last couple of weeks saying that this team is not where he wants it to be, not anywhere close to where he wants it to be. So I think that was, both a, a challenge to the players that we have and a challenge to ownership to say, Hey, this isn't, this isn't anywhere near where Arsenal as an institution should be. And so we've got a lot of work to do still. And I, I appreciate that he gets that. Definitely. All right. We got a fun question for our last question today. Why don't you uh, take that one away, Tim? Yeah, it is a fun question. It's a question Charles Ellison asked us, which is uh, given we seem to have at least a couple of options in each position apart from keeper and left back. What do you think is our best 11 and not just, uh, I just, and I just want one team, not one team. If we play X one team, if we play out Y just what is our best team? If everyone is fit, which I, I think is a good caveat, which is everyone is fit. And it's a fun question. It's, it's one we haven't actually answered in a while, which is Caleb, who's our best 11. Well, do you want to do do you want to do your version or my version, or uh, should we try to go through each position and figure this out? Uh, let's go through each position. I think is probably the easiest way to do it. I, I guess the first thing is like, what kind of formation are you looking at before we go too far down the road? Uh, I think four two three one is is reasonable since that seems to be our default. Yeah, I think that's about where I would, I would put our best formation and where we, we can make the most out of the players we have. So, yeah. So given that 4-3-2-1, uh, uh, what do you got? What do you got at keeper? Let's start at the back and move forward. Uh, so Leno, of course, at keeper. And um, and I, I like Leno. Uh, the, the follow-up question is, do you think we made the right decision between Leno and Martinez? Oh, uh, yes. I don't like I. He's just made so many good saves. I'm, I'm not like uh, regretting keeping him by any means. And I like even the the gaff the yesterday, not yesterday, in the last game. Um, you know, I don't, I don't put that at his feet at at all. Really, no. I think I would put that more in, in Jaka's um, department. But yeah, I think he's he's been fairly solid. So I, I'm not too worried. Not too worried about the future of him with this team. I think he'll be around for a while. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I asked that question because I was kind of just pondering it, and I came to the same conclusion, which is especially at the time we made the best decision based on what the the, the information we had. And Martinez has had a, a great year this year as well, and you, you know Villa has had a great year. And but I still think I would I would have kept Leno over Martinez. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving up, I guess, uh, Tyranny is pretty much a lock. Yeah. Um, the center back pairing gets a little interesting. Um, like, do you put in who you are your two best center backs, or who do you put in like your best pairing? And I think you you kind of lean towards the p- best pairing, but I I think I, I actually I think I would go uh, Gabrielle and and Louise personally. You, you, exactly. We have had no uh, differing opinion. I do have uh, Gabriel and Louise. Um, and I think with Louise, you know, as we all, we, we've said, he's, he's great till he's not, you know, and we uh, have a lot of players like that. Yeah. And <laughs> I think with Louise, like his passing is just, it's so good. And he, he showed it again in, in the Burnley game that he has that, that, that great pass and he's so good at distributing from the back. And I think Gabriel went through kind of a weird period earlier on in the season, but I, I, I felt like he's been solid or fairly solid, uh, you know, for the last uh, few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my, my pick for right back shouldn't be a surprise, but I, I think Bellerin's my, still my guy. I think Cedric brings a different look. And I appreciate that he can play both both uh, both sides pretty well, um, and 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 I I just, I just think I I don't know if I can justify Bellerin really more than I just I just like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is it, it is a thing like I for me it's a that's one of the closest positions is Cedric over or Bellerin or Cedric, and. I think for me, I'm still, I'm edging towards Bellerin, but I don't know if that's just my familiarity bias. I like, he's just, he feels like a, a player. Plus I like him off the field. I think he's an amazing person off the field. So like mm-hmm. I have a soft spot for him as far as performances has gone. It's, it is more of a coin flip than I think we thought about it would be earlier in the season. But I think going forward, and with offensive play, I think Bellerin is a little bit better than Cedric. Yeah, I just don't really expect Cedric to score goals, but his setup is a little bit better. And it kind of just depends on the chemistry he has with the players in front of him. Yeah. And but, that, the chemistry, I think, for both of them plays a big role. Yeah, but under uh, Charles's uh, guidelines, we have to pick one. And if, we have to, if I have to pick one, it's Bellerin. Yeah, I agree. And then, um, so moving up a line here, I think it's it's party and Jaka pretty clearly. I I don't, I still think we could upgrade on Jaka, but he's still our second best guy. So I think those two are the, the locks for those positions. I don't know as, as much. I so saw obviously party party is for me pretty nailed down if he's hundred percent healthy, and mm-hmm. I think you know we haven't seen his best either. That's like, for me, that's the most exciting thing is between his injuries and everything and not getting a full good run in the team. I'm, I'm excited for him going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's an easy one. Partnering with a uh, party, which is a lot of peas. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Jaka, Yeah. And he has been playing great despite his, uh, his uh, mistake the last game. I think he has been playing great. And with party, we've seen him go forward. I think I guess the only argument the other player you could you can make is uh, El Neni, and 
I just, yeah, I just don't see El Nenny as better on form right now than Jaka. He, he just doesn't bring enough going forward. Yeah. He's to, he's, he's a good safe passer and he's good defensively, but on the offensive side of the ball, he doesn't really do anything. Yeah. I mean, but for me, like he's not a huge step down from Jaka as huge as, yeah, I, I think you you said it right, which is that 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 position I think is a position in next offseason we need to address because that's mm-hmm. a, a big upgrade position. But as far as depth, I think the depth in that position is actually fairly good. That like, the drop off between El Nani and Jaka isn't huge. It's not like a giant gulf. Right. So then we've got um, a, a few tougher choices uh, in the final third of the, the field here. Um, let me ask you this. I wanted to figure out who, who we play up top because I think that that informs who we play behind, if that makes sense. That, I think that is going to be a tough question. I think this is one of the more, uh, the, the, the tougher races. I think right now, I play Aubameyang and I don't know, I don't know if it's the right choice, but it's, he is the one with the history. And I feel like right now he's turned the corner and I think he's going to be scoring some goals. Mm-hmm. I, 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 and you know, for me, it's, it's between, uh, Aubameyang and, uh, Lacazette is, uh, the two players I'm considering right. up top there. And I just, I, I don't hate what Lacazette brings. And I think, you know, you 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 bring it up that uh, it kind of depends who the midfield is because I think Lacazette has some great uh, partnerships. I think Lacazette with Smith Rowe is a great partnership. Uh, I just, I, 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 if I a gun to my head or Charles's question to my head, I'm going to say Aubameyang. Aubameyang up top. Yeah. You? Okay. I'm, I, I think it's it's interesting because it is like kind of a a domino effect because if you play a bombing up top, then you open up that left side for either Pepe or Emil Smith Rowe to fill. Um, but if you put Lacazette up top, it really only leaves that position for a bombing to fill. So. I think having a Bombiang up top actually brings more flexibility for the team. But since we're talking about our best 11, like how do you, who is, is Lacazette more important to the team than Emil Smith Rowe or Pepe is the real question. Because I feel like him playing forces those two out of the game or out of the lineup. I think, uh, uh, based on current form, I'd rather have uh, Smith Rowe than Lacazette on the field. Hmm. Yeah. In okay. My opinion. Well, then I mean that forces Pepe out of the lineup in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and on form, uh, Pepe is not a starter for me. In my, in my heart, I like. I don't think he's as bad as as we've seen him and I think he's kind of growing into a position but uh, at this point I don't see him as a starter as part of this the ideal starting 11 I think I'm gonna I'm just gonna say the way that the best that I've I've seen us look lately and the, the some of the best moments um 
I think Aubameyang up top, Pepe out left, Odegaard in the middle, Saka out right. That's that's where I would lean. But it's hard to leave Emil Smith Rowe out of the mix. It's hard to leave Lacazette out of the mix. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think the one thing we can agree is that Odegaard, in the very short time we've seen him, is definitely in the starting eleven in my mind without a without a doubt. I think we in the whole saga of the uh, Ozil so- uh, saga, the saga of the Ozil saga. That's great radio. <laughs> uh, but uh, in that whole saga, we forgot how thirsty we were for a, a true playmaker. Mm-hmm. And having Odegaard take that role, it, it, it's just it's it's just night and day. And I think it's easy for for I think you would agree that he's a he's a definite starter in that midfield in that starting eleven. Yeah, and I think that displaces Emil Smith Rowe. And I think I it's tough. Like I I'm haven't seen enough of him versus Pepe versus. You know, I mean, you could you could throw Saka in on that side. You could throw Martinelli in on that side. But really, like what we have to to go off of recently, it's kind of down to Emil Smith Rowe or Pepe. Or let me just throw a spanner in, and I might get a a, a chuckle. William, nah. <laughs> I just, even at his best, I think he's a good he's a good sub. I'm but just, he's not a starter in my mind. I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate, but he has gotten four assists in the last three games. Yeah, sure. And I think that's great. I, I just don't feel like I'm convinced by him yet. That's where I am in the in the non-devil's advocate, but I was just throwing it out there. So let's get him back. So for me, for so it's obvious for us that we're, we're talking about this three midfielder situation. And in an easy way, so it's obviously it's going to be uh, Odegaard for us, and it's going to be Saka for us. Yes. So we're just kind of futzing around who's going to be striker, and then who's going to be uh, that final midfield position. Let me ask. Let me follow this uh, this line of thinking up with another thought I just had. Who who plays best with Tierney? Because I think if you're if you're looking at that left hand side, it it goes hand in hand with whoever mixes with Tierney the best. Well, I'm going to throw it out on the left hand side. I think that Sokka plays the best for Tyranny on the left hand side. When Sokka and Tyranny uh, combine, that's some magic. So then, if if you're talking about the right, then then it's Pepe. Can Smith Rowe not play on the the right? He's been played mainly on the left. I'm not saying he could probably play anywhere in that band of three, yeah. but he hasn't really played on the right as much. I, and I think with that band of three, if you had Smith Rowe, uh, Odegaard and Saka all playing there, I think it's also a, a thing of, they might be uh, switching positions. Hold on one second. Sorry. If I may pause, uh, because I'm in the living room, the cat is, doing things i want to it's an old cat so i want to make sure it's not falling off the couch (laughs) all right cool anyways um starting back up so i don't think it's a either or uh a a thing with the uh with each player just like staying in their their set positions i think they might be able to switch around sides that Odegaard isn't going to be in the center he might be on the left or the right and i think uh at least Sokka 
is able to switch sides fairly easily. Mm-hmm. But Pepe as well, I think it's interchange. Like he, he, it, they could, they could switch with each other and be totally fine. All right. So let me ask you this question. If we just isolate between Pepe and Smith Rowe and forget all the connections and everything like that. And just the two players, are you starting Pepe over Smith Rowe? It's tough because I feel like Pepe as an individual player brings a lot to the table as far as goals and assist and assists. Whereas Emil Smith Rowe is the type of player that brings more of the intangibles. He, he is one of those force amplifier types. The team just plays better with him on the field. So he does a little bit less um, as far as the stat line goes, but maybe more as far as making everybody around him better. So <laughs> it's real tough oh. because this team, this team really needs people who can score. And that is not necessarily something I attribute to Emil Smith Rowe yet. Yeah. So, but I, I would attribute it to Saka and Aubameyang and uh, yeah, I guess having two isn't necessarily ideal. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, again, to take the spirit of Charles's question, it gun to my head. If I had to do the, the 11, I would have a band of uh, Smith Rowe, uh, Odegaard and Saka in some combination of left, right, center. I don't know exactly which, and I think they'd probably switch anyways. Are you leaning towards having the Pepe? Is that? I think if I had that lineup and I had Pepe to bring on late in the game, I'd feel much better about what he could do to change a game than what Emil Smith-Rowe could do to change a game. Gotcha. So uh, have Pepe on the, uh, the, the bench. He'd be my, he'd probably be my first sub. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I could definitely buy and i agree and i I do think that uh pepe definitely feels more goal threatening and when he came on against Burnley, we didn't really talk about it but when he did come on he is the one that created the two handball chances and he did look very goal dangerous yeah i think when he's his most confident he can be one of our um game changers and we definitely need that type of player right now Exactly. Especially when you'd want a, a change of pace. He's got that in spades. Because, you know, we it, this question brought it up, which is who's goal dangerous on the team? Because you have Aubameyang and you have Saka who's scoring goals and Lacazette. But after that, like the, the goal production definitely feels like it, it takes a dip. Yeah, I think even Pepe lacks the consistency that you would desire from his position um but uh, he's one of those people i think that would benefit from a run of games and he hasn't really gotten that so i can't really hold it against him at the moment but you know this team has some holes it has some some things that could be improved upon so even our best 11 definitely um we could we could upgrade some spots. That's for sure. Yeah, there's there's definitely upgrades. So to expand Charles's question, though, like you mentioned one, but who would you have on the bench excluding keepers? Because it feels pretty easy to figure out the keeper. Well, I think you 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 definitely have Lacazette and Pepe as your as two of your subs. Um, you know, I 
Martinelli keeps making the bench, but not getting on the field. But I definitely want to see him as like a, a game changer type as well. I just like for the, for the bench, it's hard to justify having both Pepe and Martinelli on the bench. If that makes sense. Cause I, if you're looking at it from a peer, just like substitute, I don't think you sub both of them on at the same, on the same game. No, not necessarily, but I think you have them both as options depending on how the game's going. Because I think there's a defense, there's definitely more of a defensive-minded player in Martinelli that Pepe doesn't necessarily have in a consistent basis. Fair enough. And with the the expanded bench, I guess it makes a little bit more sense when you're playing with eight players as opposed to five. We're pretty lean right now too, so I feel like you're. Um, Martinelli would just make the bench kind of because there isn't a lot of other options. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's pretty pretty much where we where we land where we land on the lineup right now. And, and with everybody loaned out and that sort of thing, I, there there isn't a ton of wiggle room, especially with some of these guys just kind of as the established starters. Um, it's good we have rotation at our center backs. It's good that we have options with um, you know. Uh, Ceballos and Elmeni to to bring in some different looks in the midfield pairing. Um, I think it really the, the the thing that will decide the front four is form and chemistry. And I think there's you know established players like Lacazette, or excuse me, thinking about Lacazette who's not established, but. Um, <laughs> Saka and Aubameyang, I feel like those those guys are probably going to play nine times out of ten, um, and then kind of figuring out who m- matches up well in the other positions. Yeah, and you talk about chemistry, and I think uh, Aubameyang and Saka have actually created a a nice little chemistry together. I think they play really well together. Right, and it doesn't really seem to matter where they're playing, whether it's left about being out on the left or soccer moving around. They, they seem to find each other really well, but well, you know, I, I, you see, uh, uh, Arteta tinkering a little bit, but, um, you know, <laughs> you randomly see Callum chambers coming in at right back and that sort of thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it, 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 when you whittle it down, there is a clear starting 11, and then there's, you know, just all the rotation that has to happen with the uh, Europa League and um, just injuries and that sort of thing. So I, I don't know how often we're going to see the best 11 play. And and I think w- the way Arteta lines people up, he's, he's got a, at least a couple moves per game that are kind of out of left field to try to counteract something the other team is doing, which is nice, but sometimes it doesn't make a ton of sense. That's what he's doing to counteract uh, Socrates telling us, or telling uh, Olympiacos all the secrets. Yes, it was all the long con. You know, <laughs> he he's been playing this one this one set of players, and then he's going to switch it all up just to throw off Olympiacos on Thursday. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's going to pretty much do it for us this week. Thank you all for listening to the very end. If you haven't done so already, please go and subscribe to our podcast wherever you pick up your podcast every week. And if you've already done that, go ahead and leave us a review. That would be a big help to us. If you've done all that, why don't you go ahead and follow us on Twitter? We are at W of N London. You can get uh, updates when we release new episodes or, you know, our usual game tweets. And if you just want to send us a question, you can do so on Twitter or 
We are available at westofnorthlondon at gmail.com if you want to send us your questions there as well. If you like what you heard for our theme song, that's Bobcat, and they are bobc.at if you want to go check out their website and pick up their album, No Course to Follow. All that will be found there. I think that's pretty much it for us this week. So as always, see you at the next gun show.